lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network, and we are back in the saddle. Uh, <laughs> yes, obviously last week that episode came out while I was out of town, not much to really talk about in the beginning outside of, you know, getting married and whatnot, but it was all just an all-around blast to have the crew from Rubber Match. Very happy that that episode dropped on the same day that the book was available uh, digitally for people to, to pick up, and hopefully you have grabbed your copy. If not, uh, we put the link out on the Twitter. You can go check out any of the... Uh, the creative team, you know, Kira, Danny, Elizabeth, uh, and Razorwig, I think have all put that link out there. It's outstanding to see. But this week, this week, um, we have a very fun guest. We have La Bruja herself, Abigail Warren. Now, Abigail um, is someone that I have watched uh, over the last few years here in the Portland area a lot um, and have really been started to gravitate towards her um, as, as she has continued to grow as well as a pro wrestler um, and you know having the chance to sit down with her and talk about her journey you know transitioning in the midst of her pro wrestling career coming from a family of pro wrestlers uh, you know herself her brother Titus Alexander and of course their father Big Ugly very well known in Sacramento area NorCal and up here in the Pacific Northwest as well for a while um, it's just a different kind of uh, story to tell them than we've had with a lot of people on the show. We don't have—I don't know—I don't know how many second-generation pro wrestlers we've had on the show, but um, outside of that, and, and her work on YouTube and with podcasting as well, there's just a lot to learn about Abigail. And um, I don't know—I was very excited to get the chance to sit down with her. We don't—I don't have a lot of chances to sit down and talk to someone who's fairly local that, that I see on a, on a monthly basis in person up here. So it was really awesome to see. And it was very also, uh, also very good timing because the queen of thorns tournament that we reference here, um, which features an, as, as you'll hear Abigail describe a, uh, absolute banger match with her and Sandra moon just went up on IWTV as well. So you can listen to us talk about the, the moment that she had there and then go watch it. It's right there for you. It's so good. Uh, and of course, Abigail is going to be at Cascadia on September 11th. We are less than two weeks away, y'all. Um, we had a slew of talent announcements happen while I was out uh, of commission on Honeymoon. Uh, obviously, a lot of big names, and the latest of which being uh, the mother brain herself, the high priestess of pro wrestling, Dark Sheik, is going to be in action there uh, in Everett, Washington on September 11th. 11th as well. Uh, the the day is approaching quick, and I am so excited. I, I feel like I'm carrying the excitement from my wedding over into this. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just I'm just giddy. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it to come. Um, you know, we'll have more matches to announce starting on September 1st. Uh, right now, of course, the only two that have been announced are our two title matches with uh, Sandra Moon and Maxi Impaler for the Prize Style Championship, and of course, Kita versus Ashton Starr for the Without a Cause Championship. 
whole lot of stuff going on there. Uh, tickets are still available. Some seats and some standing room are still available. Uh, so go grab tickets at brainbustertix.com slash Cascadia. Remember, all profits from this show are being donated to the Trevor Project. So, you know, I'm not making any money off of this. I don't want to make any money off of this. I want to continue to support uh, the community that really helps build and support this show and pro wrestling as a whole um, through any work that I do in pro wrestling. So, outstanding uh, cause behind an outstanding show. I am so giddy. Um, that being said, since I've been gone, <laughs> I haven't I haven't really engaged with much of the of the pro wrestling of the week. I mean, I've seen some stuff on Twitter here and there. The Big Gay Brunch is shaping up to be a really awesome show. Uh, some of the teams in the uh, the tag team Gantlet, um, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, <laughs> is shaping up. But the McQueens and Money Power Respect will also be at Cascadia, um, and of course, um, it's just a lot of fun fun uh, names being thrown around. And then, of course, we just got the news today that Billy Dixon is signing his dotted line on that Legends contract and coming back at Uncanny Attractions in November down in Austin, Texas. Whew! Big, big news there. So, awesome to see Billy um, come back on his own terms. Who knows if this is a one-time thing or if this is him coming back in a more regular basis, but... Either way, um, it's good to see that Billy has took that time to work on himself, and we'll see what what happens down at Uncanny in, in November. Um, Sunny Kiss also announced for that show this week, which is, of course, awesome to see as well. Um, yeah, but outside of that, and like the one Choco Pro match that I showed uh, my partner, or my spouse, rather, I have to get used to saying that, my spouse, while we were on honeymoon, um, because I thought I had shown them Choco Pro and I had not, apparently. So we watched Chris Brooks' uh, birthday match, and that's really the only pro wrestling I've engaged with uh, in the last week plus, really. So uh, I guess go watch Chris Brooks' uh, birthday match. That was a pretty pretty fun time. Otherwise, uh, All Out, of course, is also coming up this weekend. We got uh, the show coming together now with some of the matches, and that'll be really fun. Um, we'll see what kind of coverage we, we do for a lot of the wrestling coming out of Chicago this weekend. Um, obviously we'll be talking Big Gay Brunch at some point on here, but yeah, like, I, all of this talk about pro wrestling just makes me get more and more excited for Cascadia, and it gets me more and more excited to share this awesome conversation that I had with La Bruja herself, Abigail Warren. So let's go check that out right now. All right, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I'm very pleased to have as my guest this week someone who I have seen a lot of here in Portland uh, at DOA shows over the past few years, someone that has been uh, making a name for herself uh, along the West Coast here, and uh, I can safely say that she is going to be at Cascadia on September 11th as well with Without a Cause and Pride Style, uh, and this show itself, putting that show together. Please welcome La Bruja, Abigail Warren, to the show. Hi, How how's it going? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. Just chilling. Um, excited to get the chance to talk to you, because uh, as I was telling you before we hit record, like I don't get many chances 
on the show to to have a guest on that I've seen uh, wrestle in person for uh, an extended number of times. So mm-hmm. this is very exciting for me uh, from that aspect. Um, but also, I, I feel like your your journey in pro wrestling is really interesting one to kind of discuss and and especially in light of what we've seen in the growth of lgbtq identities within Mm -hmm. the whole of pro wrestling over the past few years so i'm excited to get the chance to chop it up with you a little bit here yeah definitely i'm super excited to be on i appreciate you having me oh of course of course um so i guess we can start i guess kind of at, at the beginning a little bit so to speak you know um obviously we a lot of pro wrestlers have um, origin story, so to speak, what led them to the ring. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear um, what kind of drew you to the ring, considering the lineage that you have in the pro wrestling world. Yeah, uh, honestly, it was, I mean, it really was that. Like, growing up, surprisingly, um, unlike my uh, younger brother, who some some of you might know by the name of Titus Alexander, uh, growing up, he was a big fan of watching wrestling, and I actually really wasn't. I would watch it, you know, when, like, WrestleMania happened and sort of those bigger events, but I really wasn't huge into watching televised wrestling. Um, so it was really, like, being in the indie scene at the time, following my dad and that whole group of, of students from the SPW Academy coming up um, was kind of what drew me to the business because I – that was really all I followed was like the people that I grew up around. Hmm. That's interesting that like there was more of the independent scene that kind of drew you. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel it was that like, you know, obviously with your father, big ugly, like being as prominent in, in the Sacramento scene and, and having a school there mm-hmm. as he was, as he um, still is honestly to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, did it almost feel like, like an extension of the family, so to speak, to be around those events and to be around like the locker room and everything. I I think it was less of, cause it never felt like, you know, we were sort of pressured into being in the business. I think it was just growing up, you know, most kids uh, or that I hung out around at school, their parents, you know, had a regular nine to five. And obviously my dad did too, but, it felt so cool being able to tell people like, yeah, well, my dad was a wrestler. He goes around and, you know, and does all these things that kids could relate to. You could tell him, yeah, my dad's basically John Cena. Um, so I think it was just the sort of idolizing of like, you know, the fact that I didn't even really have to care about televised wrestling because I was like, yeah, well, I know all those guys. So it doesn't really matter. Um I just thought it was so cool. And I've, I've always been a very performative person as we'll learn throughout this. Um, So I think it was less of like a family thing and more of just like, it was cool that all the people I knew around me did it. And naturally I wanted to, to sort of uh, do that as well. Mm. Mm -hmm. What made it, what was that cool factor for you? Like, was there any specific thing or was it a specific thing to different people? Like, what was it that really kind of like pulled you in and, and made you feel um, a sense of like, as, like pride isn't the right word, but, but I mean, you're going around and like telling all your friends in school, like, yeah, like I, I, I know wrestlers, my dad's basically John Cena. Like there's, there has to be some kind of like badge of honor that, that you 
war with that as well. Yeah, totally. I, I genuinely think it was, and I think you can see it in not only my wrestling, but the way I present myself today, just the larger than life aspect of it. You know, that was these sort of big buff, scary, you know, tough people, but they were coming out to these really eccentric songs and there was lights and they had sparkly glittery gear. And, you know, it was very performative and, um, it wasn't just like when you would watch, you know, something like mixed martial arts or boxing on TV, where it was just walk to a ring and beat each other up. This was, it was about telling stories and, uh, you know, big performances. And so I think it really sucked me in these larger than life characters. It made me believe like, oh, these are superstars. These are celebrities. Every, if I meet Vince McMahon and I mentioned Big Ugly, of course, Vince McMahon will know who that is. You know, as a kid, I really thought our Sacramento based promotion was, you know, up there with WWE. So I, I think it really felt um, larger than life to me. Mm-hmm you talk about being a very performative person like i can definitely see the draw to pro wrestling obviously with that how did that start to kind of manifest for you though because obviously you didn't step into the ring for at least like in terms of like well i don't know how early did you step into the ring uh i actually had my first match at nine years old okay Um, there we go you blew my whole thing out of the water there (laughs) (laughs) yeah me me and titus uh we we actually had our first match ever at nine and six um, and it was a tag team match against myself and Sir Samurai versus Titus and my dad, the Big Ugly. Um, so we we really did enter it very young. And obviously, you know, uh, we took a break for a lot of years to play sports and stuff like that. Um, but we really did, you know, immediately get sucked into it and then were offered the opportunity to do it. And I think the only reason it worked was because of the fact that my dad took it so serious because you know he could have easily thrown us in there as like a cute novelty act and we could have fucked around and still gotten the cute factor but we really went through the training that everyone did and we really took it serious and had like a full-blown match and so I think that level of respect for the business was what allowed us to uh really get drawn to it and why we still carry ourselves the way we do today no, I, I I can definitely see that both in mm. you and and Titus and, and the way that that y'all carry yourselves in the ring, you know, around the ring with fans and everything like that, and just how how well um, I don't know, just there's just a certain like spirit there whenever mm. either of y'all are in the ring, and uh, for me personally at least, yep. um, I'm sure there are all, all many other people as well. I mean, it's just awesome to see. How how do you at, at nine years old approach a, a match like that? I'm just curious to like what were you thinking in, in that moment? Obviously you've gone through training and everything like that, but it's still just like was it an intimidating thing? For you? Absolutely. Uh I it was terrifying. And I think honestly, weirdly enough, now as an adult, I think I get more nervous than I did back then. Um but it was nerve wracking, especially because, you know, we're in elementary school at this point. So our, we're telling all of our friends for months and they're all here to watch us do this thing. So there was a lot of pressure riding on it. And a lot, what a lot of people don't know is there was a lot of other 
uh, promoters who were shit talking the fact that there were children in the ring. So there was that extra layer that we felt like we had to prove that we weren't just this, you know, this dad putting his kids in the ring for novelty's sake. Like there was an extra layer of pressure, I think, to deliver an actual good professional wrestling match. Um, so it was really nerve wracking, but I think like the moment that I hit that curtain for the first time, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Like it, it just, there's no feeling like hitting the curtain and just hearing a crowd erupt like that. So like once that happened, it just fulfilled every bit of attention that I need. Um, so yeah, I, it, it was absolutely terrifying, but right when I hit the ring, I, I knew everything was going to be fine. So obviously you have that match at nine. Mm -hmm. Um, where does this performative nature that you have take you outside of pro wrestling? Like, were you, were you a theater kid growing up? Uh, I always wanted to be. Um, and it was so sad because, because of the fact that I played sports, I never had time to do theater. Um, I actually, I auditioned for one play and I was supposed to play Albert Einstein and I got the part, but the play took too long and rugby season was coming up. So as far as performing, I never got to do theater. And I think that's what naturally led me to doing um, YouTube and podcasting, which is I do. I have a YouTube channel and I have my own podcast as well. Um, but I've been doing online content since I was about 15 years old um, because I just wanted a natural. I wanted some way to perform and put out all these ideas. I felt like I was a naturally charismatic and funny type of person. Um and obviously growing up in a more digital age, YouTube was something I was part of my everyday life. Um, and comedy was something that was a part of my everyday life. So I think it, that's what kind of pushed me to uh, making internet content. What did that like first foray into YouTube look like for you? Like what kind of content were you producing? Um, I actually, my first like official, official YouTube channel was I had a Let's Play channel called uh link noises which was a, a gameplay channel with me and some friends from high school um it was so awful we for the first few months we were pointing a do you remember those flip video cameras that had like a usb that would like pop out of the camera oh 100 percent. Yeah, yeah and it recorded in like 140p yep. <laughs> we, were, we were pointing that at a tv on a tripod to record the gameplay and audio so it was absolutely disgusting but like <laughs> We were having so much fun. It didn't matter. And then eventually we bought our, my friend had bought a computer that could like record gameplay. Um, and we were just doing it for fun. And I honestly, everything I do is for fun. Like if, if ever, if ever I'm that, excuse me, if I'm ever doing a type of content or performance that isn't fun, I will stop doing it. But I think what really hit me was one day at school, mind you, I'm still in high school someone came up to us at our lunch table and asked when we were going to finish a certain let's play we were doing. And that's when I realized like, Oh shit, like people like the content that I make, like that's crazy. Um, and so, yeah, it just really drives me to like, wow, I can really just push and make whatever I want and, and somebody will like it. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome to hear. Like you don't, not everybody gets that experience of having someone mm -hmm. come up to them at their lunch table and be like, yo, when is the next chapter that's coming out? Like what's exactly. going on? Yeah. No, I can imagine that would be a big uh, confidence booster when it comes mm -hmm. to putting that stuff out there, considering even back then YouTube was still just like such a wide 
array of, of yeah. content out there is and it's even like obviously it's still harder for like discoverability in, in the age mm-hmm. of the algorithm and everything like that but even in the early days of youtube and to the time that you're speaking of like that sort of thing is just super hard to find absolutely yeah and especially back then like that was sort of peak time for let's plays like 2015 to 2016 yeah you know so we were competing we were you know i'm not competing i won't say but like we were trying to follow in the footsteps of like game grumps and pewdiepie and markiplier like these huge juggernauts of youtube so to hear at even one person say hey i enjoy your content like i enjoy these other things was insane to hear um, were there any particular games that, that y'all did on the Let's Play uh, channel that really stood out to you as either like providing a great like um, content vehicle or just a game that you really, really liked to play as y'all were, um, you know, doing your, your, your thing? Yes, there's one specific game and it was not only the fact that I think it just provided great content, but it also allowed me to push myself tech tech wise, like, and, and uh, editing wise, because I'm completely self-taught as far as editing and stuff goes. Um, and it was called Outlast, which is a horror uh, game where you have like no weapons. You just have like this night vision camera and you're running around this like scary environment, but it was me and a friend of mine. And it was just literally two two teenagers in a room just absolutely screaming their heads off um and i remember one specifically episode we we even had done like a face cam episode which was really special to us um i'm so sad that none of them are up anymore because we all just felt the need to like take all of it down because it was you know content from high school um but i think that was what that watching back that specific let's play kind of gave me the confidence as a creator of like oh i'm funny like i can I'm good at like improv comedy and I can, I can make these sort of things. Um, and it's even to this day led me to wanting to stream at some point. Mm. Mm. No, Outlast is a awesome series. I, I, yeah. that is so good. I love, I love that it keeps coming back to horror for you. Like, obviously like, you know, we, we talked a little bit before we went on the air and I told you, I went back and watched this, uh, one of your more recent videos mm-hmm. about the, the media that creeped you out as, as a youth. Yeah. Um, have you always really been into like horror and, and ghost stories and, and these sort of things? Absolutely. Um, okay. I love horror. As you mentioned, that that channel that I have is actually purely horror based, um, purely for the fact that I knew I always wanted to make commentary videos, but I knew like covering Internet drama or like silly movies from Netflix never really sounded interesting to me. But talking about horror has just always been something I've loved um I remember growing up I even had a uh, I was really into goosebumps um Mm. which I actually on my channel um I made a video recently about goosebumps um I had all of the books I loved the tv show um and there was just something even to this day I uh there's some something about the feeling of being scared has just always been it's like a thrill to me um, I don't know what it is because it's absolutely awful. It feels so shitty when you're just like sitting alone in the dark, terrified. Um, but I've loved it. And I think horror is a genre that so often gets equated to like, oh, cheap, cheap jump scares and silly ghosts. But like, I think there are some really beautiful and intense stories that you can tell through the medium of horror. Um, 
And so I just, I, it's something I've always been super passionate about. And, and to this day, I mean, you can see in my videos, it's, it's just, I think my favorite type of genre. No, I, I am also a, a big fan of horror. And I think mm. that's why I was so interested in like some of the, the videos that have been coming out on that other channel personally, just because, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm, like in my like mid late thirties, so like mm -hmm. the stuff that I the stuff that was formative for me mm -hmm. around horror was definitely different. So like going back and like watching the stuff with you, it's like so much more like online based. Whereas like yeah. for me, it's just like catching the Friday the Thirteenth marathon on USA one weekend or something. Yeah. So and I think that's why that video, that childhood uh, media video, was so important to me to make as sort of a because I I had been posting videos about a couple years ago, and then when the pandemic happened and like everything started it really like kind of messed up scheduling but i just got back into it and i thought that was a really important video to come back on because a lot of my favorite creators who are older than me made that video and like you mentioned it was a lot of like things that aired late on tv and like things that i didn't experience and so i thought it would be really cool to kind of remake that video but through the lens of someone my age who experienced a lot of online or like uh you know sort of internet uh, based horror yeah it really is because i feel like a lot of that stuff you know they're obviously like i have friends that that are my age that were still like very much into like the creepypasta stuff mm -hmm. and that sort of thing and then and i would kind of hear about that a lot tangentially through them but i was never really entrenched in that online world of, of horror in, in the right. same way and so it is very very interesting to hear that perspective just to see like just how wildly creative like these communities can be yeah in a way um so i don't know it was just really awesome and yeah I, got, I had a lot of fun <laughs> listening to that thank you i appreciate it <laughs> although and honestly in, in some ways like i've i've kind of gotten a little bit more into that world mm -hmm. in recent years just because mm -hmm. like being stuck at home and that yeah. sort of thing so like i don't know there's this tell me I'm just going to throw a name out there and I want your thoughts on this as someone who kind of grew up in, in this a bit more, obviously more than I did. Siren Head. Yeah. Um, Siren Head such an interesting thing to me because I, I actually follow the creator who made Siren Head on Twitter. His name is Trevor Henderson. Um, and I think he is a prime example of like how how powerful but yet how terrifying it can be to be a creator on the internet because all siren head was at first was just a cool drawing that he drew it was just an, a, an art piece um of this kind of cryptic being and i really love like cosmic horror junji ito is one of my favorite horror creators for that reason um so to see this like guy who just decided to draw something kind of spooky oh a, a guy with a siren on his head and then it become this like internet icon and people are making YouTube videos and, and flash games and creepypastas and all these stories around it. Um, it's so interesting, um, but also yet terrifying because not only did like none of the people ask his permission for it, but also just to see like how quickly something you make can blow up like that. Um but I've I've always loved the concept of Siren Head because again, like I said, I really love that sort of cosmic horror of um, there's there's something completely like 
terrifying but yet beautiful to me of like horror that has no interest in explaining itself to you mm. um like you know there there are things that are scary that you learn the backstory of and it's like oh, okay you know that's interesting but there's something about horror that is just like you will never find the answer for is so terrifying to me and i think that's why like like i said like junji ito is one of my favorite creators because he'll take a day-to-day subject like a cat and make it a terrifying, you know, horrific cosmic being and not give you any context. <laughs> yeah, it just is. It just is. Yeah, it's like it is. And you just have to deal with that. And it's like, great. <laughs> Hooray. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, Siren Head is one of the ones that, that I've followed a, a bit here and there mm-hmm. um, and, and has been one that's really intrigued me. Um, coming out of that world so yeah and it's just interesting to see like how how like quickly and so bombastically is burst onto like the mainstream scene so Mm -hmm. yeah um anyway um Mm -hmm. so you are doing the youtube stuff Mm. um you're starting to kind of branch out from from let's plays somewhat at what point do you kind of start getting back into the wrestling ring so to speak uh i was about it was when i was about uh 17 i think i want to say i was like just getting ready to graduate high school and i remember i at this point i had stopped really showing an interest in sports i wasn't really having fun playing football rugby wasn't really going anywhere um but i was really heavily into my youtube i had uh a horror channel back then as well and i was really into uh i was getting into like special effects makeup and uh, all these sort of performative things and that's when my dad came to me and said to me like well if you you know you're really into performing and obviously you're a great athlete because of sports do you want to try retraining to like get back into wrestling because you can use all of that to kind of uh you know that's what wrestling is. And I really had not much planned for after high school. So I was like, yeah, why not? Like, let's, let's do it again. You know, let's give it a shot. Um, And so I was training with him at the VF3 school. So I would train with him before, and then I would train with VF3 as well, which is uh, Virgil Flynn, uh, the third, you know, uh, rest in peace, Um, his school that was open at the time. So I was doing double training, (laughs) Uh, pretty much every day, every weekday. Um, and then we had the student showcase uh, about like like six to eight months in, I think. And I actually wrestled my dad. Um, and like looking back on it now, it's a, it's a horrifying match. It's so terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the time, I remember we were getting like, this is awesome chance and all this crazy stuff. And uh, it really re-solidified, like, why did I stop doing this to play sports, you know? Um, it really just is the perfect culmination of everything I am as a person, you know? Um, so it, it really felt like there was no other option than, than pro wrestling. Mm. Oh, that's just, it's just so interesting to hear, like, how, like, supportive, like, it feels like a lot of people may have this like misconception about like you know a wrestler with with their kids and we've seen this you know in in other famous wrestling families or whatever but Mm -hmm. like this sort of 
pressure, not necessarily either from the parent or like just like kind of a tangential existing yeah. pressure to like push their kids into the business. It really feels like your dad was just very much kind of letting you go with the flow, so to speak, and figure out like when do you want to take certain steps, certain ways and that sort of thing. Yeah, I really feel like when you look at my dad, you you would and, you know, he was a high school football coach as well. You really would think he was the most like television or movie type of football dad of like living his dreams through his kids. But he really was so supportive of anything we wanted to do. And my dad always had this really great mindset, which was I don't care what you want to do in life. You just have to want to do something. If you want to be the best fucking recorder flute player, then like we're going to train every day and learn how to do that. We're going to go to classes and stuff. So it wasn't like you have to play football. You have to play. You have to do wrestling. You have to do this. It was just what do you want to be great at? Because I want to help you be great at it. So it really was like even with YouTube, something that was blossoming at the time that really, especially with people from his generation, did not understand of like it's like tv or radio but it's on the web it's on this website you know they really didn't understand but he fully was like well if you want to do it then you got to want it you got to push for it um so like he could have easily told me that like no youtube stupid don't do that but he really did push me to make content um so yeah it, it we really were blessed with like how supportive he was and obviously you know he wants us to wrestle because that's what what he loves but there was never this pressure of like if we didn't do it that he would be upset or like forced us to do it i know if i ever needed to walk away or if titus ever needed to walk away he would be fully supportive in that decision mm. yeah that's really awesome to hear you know because yeah. like i i don't know you just don't always hear stories like that from the yeah world of pro wrestling so yeah, like, yeah definitely yeah so it's just nice to hear mm -hmm. um I'm curious now that you said that he was like very, very supportive of, of your YouTube endeavors and sort of thing. Did he ever pop up on any of those videos? Uh, yeah, he actually is uh, one of my earliest podcast episodes. I want to say it's like seven, six or seven. No, it's it's episode seven. Mm. Um, he I did. And at the time was the longest episode I'd done. Um, it was about like an hour and a half. Uh, so he, yeah, he popped up on there and then actually he has a YouTube channel, um, called the ugly dojo and I actually edit his ugly critiques series. Um, so we like make content together. Like we're in, you know, he's, he's joined my world now <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm helping him get better at, at making videos and stuff like that. So that was actually a really cool experience of like him training me to join the wrestling world and now i'm like teaching him how to do youtube it's it's really funny in that in that uh, how that worked out <laughs> it, honestly it it is pretty interesting to see how like this this whole thing kind of circles back on on one another in a way yeah that's really cool talk to me a bit about training with with virgil like obviously um virgil Flynn the third like has a uh very um wide-reaching um and stellar reputation out here on the mm -hmm. West Coast, you know. I think, um, I mean, hood, hood slam shows, you know, they they still um, immortalize them anytime that there's a, a chance to, there, um, as well. Yeah. Like, obviously, his his early and untimely death is is you know been felt 
rippled throughout yeah. the West Coast pro wrestling community. What was it like for you to to learn from from him as well? It was such an interesting experience, and um, I you know I love Virgil to death. I, I grew up with him. You know, he was he was literally like part of the family. Um, and it's it's actually very interesting because I feel like you know uh, a lot of people want to come on and and talk about how you know he was this amazing trainer um but the problem with virgil was that he was too good at this shit <laughs> so like he couldn't understand if you were having like if you were having trouble learning a move he he wouldn't understand because he's so good at wrestling that it just he gets it like he sees it once and boom he's got it down and so i remember one specific time we were trying to go over headlock takeovers and I could, the way he wanted me to do it was how he does it, which is like, you know, he like hop, skip and jumps into it. And I was like, well, Virgil, I'm 285 pounds. There's no fucking way I'm going to do it like that. Um, but he really was just such a fucking loving and passionate guy, man. Like he really, you know, he really did like, I, I think it was just such a good environment. And, um, you know, unfortunately we had a lot of students from that era not last um, which was unfortunate, but it, it was the first time in a while where like, I can tell, I mean, I was kind of an outsider. Cause again, I, I trained more with pops than I did with VF3. Um, but you still see like, like Midas Creed and, and, and blaze and, and uh, Harmon and like that little group, they all are doing their own thing, but they are really recognized as like that VF3 crew. Um, and it's so cool to see like a group of kids come up and bond like that because you don't really see that anymore. I feel like, you know, kids kind of come into different schools and then learn what they can and then go somewhere else, which isn't bad necessarily um, because you want to learn as much as you can. But it is it was really cool to see like a group of kids actually come up together for the full experience. Um, and I think Virgil really left that lasting experience on them. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really wish that like more kids would have gotten an opportunity to work with him. I never got the opportunity to work Virgil, uh, which is, is still really sad to me. Um, so yeah, it, he's just absolutely a great guy. All right, Jens, thank you so much for tuning into LGBT in the ring. Um, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Black designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at Quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT check out that service uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ring pod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboy otm and if you're into video games definitely check out my video game news show 
the Mr. Video Game Super Show. I co-host that with uh, Twitch streamers Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. So, uh, at what point do you start to kind of feel like you're getting your legs underneath you with with pro wrestling? Honestly, sometimes I still feel like I have it. <laughs> um, I, I, really, I feel that so yeah, fucking hard. I, I really am just like going through this as much as I can, you know. Um, and it's a lot of it too, like had to, this is going to sound weird, but a lot of it too did have to do with um, my transition kind of really made wrestling uh, sort of a weird time for me because I didn't really know how to navigate coming out as as trans and then where that would put me in wrestling and i hadn't really found the the queer community within wrestling yet um so i sort of felt like i didn't know what to do um and i think that slowed down the the drive to like get bookings for a while um so honestly i i really feel like i'm re-entering the business for a third time um which is so hard because especially in the queer community there's so much amazing talent that i feel like i'm trying to catch up with um you know like like chic and kid bandit and sandra moon like all these insanely talented people who are just blowing up and i'm like catching behind them like you're all younger than me fuck you i mean they're not they're all older than me but except sandra but i i feel like i'm just like god there's so many talented people now um, and it feels like a blessing that I'm surrounded by them, but I'm also like, well, fuck, why couldn't I find you like three, four years ago? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it has really exploded a lot in, in recent years to that yeah. extent. And it's amazing to see it continue to grow in all the different pockets of, of pro wrestling that we see mm -hmm. um, across the country. And, you know, I honestly like bringing up your transition that kind of leads into um, something I wanted to talk to you about, obviously, because you know mm -hmm. you started wrestling before transitioning mm -hmm. and i and honestly i'll i'll be real the first time i saw you work was pre-transition mm -hmm. and and so like watching like that journey it was it was almost poetic in a way because i think the first time i i saw you work in person was at the first queen of thorns tournament yeah and mm -hmm. then now just a less than a month ago you were a semifinalist in the Queen of Thorns tournament. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what what was that that journey like for you? And not necessarily between the the tournaments, but just like, what was that journey like for you to um to transition in the midst of your career in that way? It was uh, it was really scary. Uh, you know, especially like I said, not really being surrounded by like a heavy queer presence. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. And like, you can tell even you bring up the first queen of thorns. I remember that tag match. And at that point I had like just started identifying as non-binary at the time. 
and you could tell I'm like trying to look as gay as possible. <laughs> like, Honestly, both me and my fiance were at that show. We're like, oh, who's this new gay person? We need yeah, to find out who I this like, is. I like had like white ripped jean shorts on and like a rainbow arm piece. And it was, I was trying, to, and I, I mean, it looked cool, but like, as you see now, I feel like now I have back back then I, I was putting myself out there as if I was this really cool put together queer person. But now I feel like not only being surrounded by so many amazing people, but just inside and outside of the business, but just kind of finding out who I am myself. Like, I feel like I was putting forward this extra layer of like, like back then I was called like beautiful Bronson Bishop and all this stuff. And it almost became like a caricature of what of who I was because I felt like that's what wrestling wanted from me. And now that I've matured and like explored my myself as a person, I realized that like, you know, I love being like glammed up and pretty and, and ooh woo and cute and all that. But I'm also like a badass and I'm like strong and I can throw people around. And I realized that there's nothing wrong with that. It didn't make it any less cute or, you know, uh, feminine. Um, and so now I, I feel like I've blended all of the pieces of my personality and put them into what I am today. Um, and I just feel so much. I've never felt more natural or, uh, you know, in the ring. Like, I, I genuinely feel like I'm out there and I'm just myself turned to 11. Um, and that's what a pro wrestler should be. It's just you you just put bits and pieces of yourself in there that and then you crank them up all the way. Um, so it was really cool. It's really cool to look back and see that because uh, even back further than when I was identifying as non-binary, when I was just, you know, fully pre-transition, I looked like player one on create a character. I had like a black singlet and boots and knee pads. And it was like the most boring version of what a wrestler could be to me. Um, so to see where I am now, it, it's such a, a beautiful experience because I, I, I've never felt more comfortable or just natural in the ring because I'm just being myself out there. And I feel like that's why I've been able to connect with the audience more now than I ever have in my life. No, I, I could definitely see that for sure. And, and it's mm -hmm. interesting, like looking at, the transition from, as you described it, player one, create a wrestler, yeah. <laughs> yeah. to like beautiful Bronson Bishop, to Abigail Warren. Now it's it does feel like a natural progression in terms of like integrating parts of yourself into this character, and and honest, honestly, also like learning more about yourself, like outside yeah. of the ring, and j just as as you like, when did you start kind of looking inwardly about your own gender identity? Um, it really was when uh, I I met a very good friend of mine, uh, my friend Silver, who uh, has been, actually just came on my podcast recently. And we're actually starting a, a podcast together soon, um, which I'm very excited about. But they were the first person who I really felt like I could just open up to. And then because I feel like there's this pressure in in within queer people to like always have it figured out um especially within like the trans community like you always have to have an answer for someone what your sexuality is what your your gender identity is what your pronouns are like you always have to have an answer right um tied up with a nice neat little bow on it but silver was the first person who i felt like i could come to and be like i don't know sometimes i struggle with things still to this day and like 
they were just like, cool. Well, if you want to try stuff out, try it out. And if not, go ahead. And I never felt any pressure of like, I was going to be judged for questioning. I don't know. It was, it was just full comfortability. And then through them, I started meeting more and more people and like getting those experiences. Um, and then when I come back to wrestling now, there's on, on top of like, they kind of helped me prepare to when I come back to wrestling, be surrounded by such a positive, healthy queer community that I felt like I no longer had that like layer of imposter syndrome, I guess. Um, so yeah, they really helped me through a lot of that, uh, that sort of questioning phase of like, I don't know, I'm figuring it out, uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always good to have a support system like that. Yeah. You know, someone that you can lean on for those things. And, and you're right. There is sometimes this pressure, whether it's from internally within the queer community or definitely in, in my experience, more so outside of the queer community in a yeah. way, to really have yourself figured out and to have all these answers that no, like, cishet person would ever have to have just ready exactly. to go on a exactly <laughs> so i could definitely understand the frustration like whenever i was like like whenever i was going through my thing and then like determining that you know i was not binary and that sort of thing like yeah you still have to have these these times to like try out like different pronouns or like mm -hmm. different different things and and if you're not afforded that luxury because people just want to automatically like if you come out just say as lgbtq and then people automatically want to put a label on you just so they can better understand it like that yeah. only is it serves as a disservice to the person that is going through that situation yeah no absolutely and like it's really nice to be surrounded by that like recent uh it was like earlier this year i wanted to try identifying as as gender fluid uh, because I was I was lifting a lot of weights and I feel like that uh, I so I was presenting a little more masculine at the time and that was just for me personally not that feminine people can't lift weights that's not what I mean at all it just at the time I was like wearing a lot more masculine clothing because I was working out a lot and that was the only type of clothes I had um, so I started feeling like well maybe I'd be comfortable using all pronouns and so I, I tried it out for like a month and I was like nope <laughs> and, it was, and it was just that like it really was just like I tried it out and I didn't like it and I now I'm I'm back to just she they and that's that's where I'm comfortable um, you know and it didn't change anything about the fact that I like to like lift weights or anything it just I wanted to try it and it it didn't feel right it did and I think there that's too there's like an important conversation to have around gender expression versus gender identity right yes um like I still wear masculine clothes sometimes and I still you know feel like hoorah you know suplex a tree but then sometimes I feel more like glitter ooh, ooh. so it's like but that has nothing to do with how I identify mm -hmm. it's just how I express myself you know uh physically um, so yeah, it was, but it was really cool to like go to shows and people were just like, I would tell people and I'd have this level of like, oh no, what are they going to think? And like, no one gave a shit. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, cool. Like, what are we going to do tonight? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome to hear though. Like, yeah. it's like you always have these stuff, these things like built up in your head in a way. And just to have that kind of just squashed immediately like that, I I can only assume would be a, a good thing to experience. <laughs> yeah, it really was just like, 
it's shown me like, man, I have such a good community surrounded by me and I'm, and I'm still meeting more and more amazing queer talent. I just met Effie for the first time. Um, oh, and that, yeah, it was really cool uh, to finally get to meet him. Cause he's someone who's doing so much for the community. Um, so yeah, it's just like, you know, and I, I got to wrestle his tag partner, Allie and like, you know, so we've like become kind of pals at shows and it, it's, it's cool. Like it's, it's really cool to be surrounded by so many cool people um, who are just like, they will love you for you as long as you're a good person. <laughs> to that end, I will say one of the things that really warms my heart the most, like whenever I'm scrolling through the hellscape that is wrestling Twitter yeah. uh, at times um, <laughs> is to see how, like both affirming and supportive your father is online yeah about about you you know obviously like whether it's tweeting about your wrestling or or stuff that you're that you're working on together like the the ugly dojo shows that that you'll do like it just Mm -hmm. it feels like there's just this super supportive and gender affirming environment that that you have with your family there yeah definitely um he really is like he, he has taken the time to like learn and you know there there are still times where he may not fully understand every aspect of queerness because nobody does but like he he knows that like you don't have to understand someone's identity to respect it and so he's fully respectful of like anything and yeah there there's complete level of support there and um both in my identity and just like you said my my uh, online like he reposts all of my stuff and he really does just want to support everything we do because he knows that we're passionate about it mm. so talk to me about the first time that you wrestled as abigail warren the first time i wrestled as abigail warren oh i can't even i can't even remember what the show was i think it was actually the first doa show back at the uh it was lucky 13 i believe and i wrestled oh, really? Rebel hell yeah i could have sworn i saw you on a different show as abigail but either way that show was it great might have been. that's the first time i can remember honestly because this switch was so nonchalant mm-hmm. because i was just wrestling as as beautiful bronson for a long time and i kind of i remember we were we were at a doa show when i brought it up to pops about wanting to change the name um and he was like well what do you want to change it to i was like i don't know i really again that's where the horror aspect comes in of like i really love horror um you know and uh i was a huge fan of the conjuring movies and so that's where warren came in from the warrens ed and lorraine warren um and then abigail was uh one of i think pops came up with abigail from it was one of the witches i think from you know back in the 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 sort of salem witch trials of i wanted to kind of reclaim that because that's a very misunderstood time (laughs) yeah it is Um, jesus christ (laughs) yeah and uh you know we sort of had uh we wanted that witchy sort of gothy vibe and i thought you know la bruja sounds so cool uh, I actually learned the word Bruja from the Arkham games, <laughs> uh, weirdly enough, because <laughs> that's what Bane calls like the evil doctor lady. He calls her La Bruja. And I was like, that sounds fucking sick. <laughs> and so I was like, dude, I was like, it is like, it's literally just the witch, but it sounds way cooler in Spanish. And so we kind of 
put it all together and and i was like i'm gonna try it out and the next show i saw it on the the flyer and i was like oh that's that's brilliant that's it (laughs) but speaking of that doa show that you obviously doa came back there you came back there and you came back with a a partner in tow mr ooh la la how did how did that little little partnership there come about (laughs) honestly Honestly. Honestly, I have no idea. It just, <laughs> it really was just like I showed up and they were like, I basically the consensus from the promoter was like, you're really tough and, and cool and queer. And like, that's all of the fans up here. So like, we're worried that they're going to like you too much, but we need you to be a heel. So we're just going to throw this awful French guy with you <laughs> and, make, and like make him give you all the heat. And I was like, fair enough. And that's, that's really how that blossomed. <laughs> it was just such an interesting, like clash of dynamics between the two of you. When I saw that, I, I was at that show and yeah. Whenever I saw that you two were paired together, I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. It's there's yeah. it's such a diametric difference in exactly. character. Well, and we I remember sitting down to talk to him and we really wanted to come up with something more original than just like, oh, he he signed a contract. And so we were at the time the conservatorship with Britney Spears was happening. Mm. And so that's what blossomed with the whole key angle was he sort of had this air of like conservatorship over me so in tune would like want want me to be more violent than I wanted to be so we always had to keep that sort of baby face turn under wraps um and then it just it stuck and people fucking hated him because he's he's such a great like 80s heel like he is just so unlikable in a way that's like he's really willing to make himself the butt of the joke, which I think is very underappreciated these days because a lot of people really want to take themselves super seriously. So, but he is a prime example of like an 80s heel of like just this bumbling idiot who's such a weird character. <laughs> and it's like everything I'm not. And so, like, at first I had my like, I was like, I don't know. But the second we came out together, I was like, oh yeah, this totally works. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's just it was just such a, a interesting thing there and obviously this led into like what you're doing now in terms of the presentation of the character and yeah just how like it really did build up that baby face turned for you yeah. to the point that like you're just lighting up the crowds here and i don't know it's just really awesome to see and also the fact that y'all are still like obviously it's not like a, a manager wrestler relationship anymore, but you know I you you're on the the pal pro, pro wrestling shows uh, that that yes. he runs as well. What is it like to to work with Ula La like in that capacity? It's well? great, dude. I I really will say like like Mister really uh, is someone who wants to take care of you, and like he's such a good dude, and you know he has a lot of ideas. Uh, he's a very creative guy. Um, but he, he really is just like, he wants, he wants the best for everybody. And, uh, he has such an interesting feel. I feel like he, he really does love that sort of old school wrestling vibe, uh, which I'm huge on. Cause I love telling stories. I actually, the last match I had there was against Drexel and it, we worked a paper cut for 10 minutes. Like it really was just all character and it's so fun and it's such a fun environment. Um, so yeah, he he is he is a great guy. Like I I do love working with with Ulaha and um 
yeah, Pow Pow is such a fun company to do as well. And working with Brian Zane really gave a lot mm. of eyes to the product, putting that on, you know, a, a channel with four or 500,000 viewers or whatever um, subscribers. Like it really did get more eyes on Pow than I thought there would be. No, that's awesome to hear. Like I've, yeah, I've, I've seen the, the Pow stuff popping up on the, the wrestling with regret channel as well. And mm-hmm. I keep meaning to get down to Eugene for a show, but yeah. it's just always like there's always something schedule conflicting there. Yeah, like, I really enjoy it, what y'all are doing down there too. It really is. It always works out that way, right? <laughs> it it does. It does. God, no. But um, but yeah, like it's just awesome to see you kind of really like taking an an ownership of of how you do want to present in pro wrestling in, in the way that you do. And mm-hmm. um, I'm curious to talk to you about the full queer events as well because like you said you didn't really have a lot of people like in the community that were in pro wrestling for a while and then all of a sudden you have a a, a, an event like full queer pop up where you're getting into the ring with mariah moreno of all people yeah what was yeah sorry go ahead (laughs) oh i was just saying yeah it was really interesting because weirdly enough I had no idea who Mariah Moreno was before that show. Mm. So everyone was like freaking out about it. And I was like, okay, because <laughs> I don't really, I don't follow wrestling. You know, I just, I really don't. Um, I just, I hadn't, I had never like heard of her work or anything. Um, but it was really cool that like they trusted me to get in there with someone that uh, Marco had so much respect for to throw me in there with her um it was it was a really cool experience to to be a part of that and then to make it to the finals and wrestle Keita Murray who is mm. fucking so underrated yes. like he should be one of the most popular people in the fucking business and then DeShade who's out there blowing up and growing a name for himself and then Brittany Wonder who was literally like a, my big sister <laughs> so it was like <laughs> such a crazy night like I remember that match like after I, I go up on Mariah and which was like already like shit, dude, like they were putting a lot on this chick and I won. <laughs> they trusted <laughs> me to win. But then to like, I remember I'm in the four way and I'm looking across the ring against these three and I'm just like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, why am I in here? <laughs> did it coming out of, of that event and being put into that spot, did that kind of like, kind of like prove something to yourself in a way i think so it really did prove to me that like because it also really felt like i talked to some of the fans afterwards and i think less more more so than actually being in the match what really gave me that level of confidence was it genuinely felt like everyone there thought that any one of us could have won right because there's nothing worse than being in a multi-person match like that and getting the view from the fans of like, yeah, you're definitely not going to win. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes there's that feeling of like, even when you watch WWE, like, okay, well, there's no shot they win. And like being that person is, it can be rough sometimes. Um, but genuinely feeling from the fans that they believed any four of us could have won the title that night really showed to me like, oh, I'm being put on the level of these really insanely talented people. Um and getting that reaction just it sometimes you you have to be reminded like your talent level i think 
Um, and that was definitely one of those moments where I was like, oh shit. Yeah. I'm like actually good at this. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, like we've seen you pop up in, in a number of other places down there, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be hood slam. Um, yeah. I know you have a, a tag team match coming up at the, at a, the Toko show that I can't remember yeah. the name of the show right now, teaming up Big with Toko's uh, with... kickback. Yes. There we go. <laughs> Big Toko's kickback teaming up with Sandra moon. There. I'm so excited for that. I love her. It really feels like um, that y'all have really like forged this, this really strong friendship um, over the last year or so. We really have man. Like, and it really was out of nowhere because I, I, you know, I'd met Sandra before and I knew she knew Titus because they are on a lot of those, you know, big, big indie shows together. Um, but I think it really was after the the four way we had me, her, Kel and Rachel Elring. Um, we spent a lot of time with each other that day and then we just became like pals. And then this past match we had at Queen of Thorns, what like I knew we were friends outside of the ring after like after all this but after this match at queen of thorns i knew i could trust her in the ring mm. because you know you wrestle a lot of people and you're like obviously you're like oh they're good or like we had a good match but like it's a very rare when you wrestle someone and you just click and you like you know what they're gonna do without them telling you and vice versa like you just feel that level of comfortability and you can just let go and and we really did you know i don't say this a lot but like we really did put on a banger match and like i'm really proud of that match and it just gave me that level of comfortability where I was like, I'd, I'd have no problem wrestling her whenever I can. No, like the, the match that you speak of uh, definitely fits that description. Like that's a match Thank that you. I've, I've talked up to some people, like whenever <laughs> this hits, when this hits IWTV, you need to fucking watch this match. <laughs> it was you. just, it was really, really solid. It was just so good. Um, and I guess, one more thing is we started kind of wind down here a little bit, going mm-hmm. back to like full queer in the Bay Area and, and Hood Slam and everything. Um, another person who's really sung your praises to me is one Miss Poyo Delmar. Ah, yes, I love Poyo. Talk to me a bit about because I know y'all have worked together at least a little bit on some of the on full queer shows. Um, yeah. I don't, and and I'm not sure if y'all have really cross paths like on like in presentation at hood slam or anything like that but what has it been like for you to kind of build this relationship with someone who has such a like long-standing place in pro wrestling in the bay area it's so crazy because i really do feel like poyo just spawned into my life one day like (laughs) i i had never met her or never seen her before and then the first full queer happened and she's just such a bubbly character. I mean, of course, she's a drag queen. Like, she's just so, she's just so on all the time. And, like, when you see Poyo in the ring, like, that's just who she is outside of the ring. Oh, like, 100%. Yeah, she just really is that person. And she's so fun to be around. And we just kept running into each, o- each other uh, at Ugwa and, again, at Hood Slam because she's so tied to, like, Chic and uh, Money, Power, Respect and all that. Um, and we just had like, we always had great conversation. And so it was just like, we just became friends and really like, yeah, like you said, like, it's one of the few people who I've seen on like a million shows and always had like good chats with and have been good friends with who I've never worked with. Like I've never worked across from Poyo. We've done commentary together once kind of, (laughs) and that was about 
about it. Other than that, I've never like wrestled any of the people she managed or, you know, worked against her in any capacity. So it's really, it's really interesting to like, to see that dynamic of like, she's just my friend from all the shows, but we never work together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's coming at some point. There's enough I people so. in the agenda now. Yeah, she manages like all of the best people. So I really do hope it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are going to help manifest that for you for sure. Definitely. Because that needs to happen. Um, <laughs> Abigail, thank you so much for coming on the show. I guess one last question for you before we kind of wrap up. And this is kind of a, a new one that I'm trying to add to my repertoire at the end of shows because it's a really mm-hmm. interesting one that I picked up from another queer journalist. Um, was there any one thing that you wished I would have asked you about that I didn't? Um, honestly, no, you really covered all of the bases. I really appreciate, cause I feel like a lot of the times when you do wrestling interviews, it's the same, like five questions of like, where did you start and who's your favorite wrestler? But like, you really did dive into all of the other things I'm passionate about. And that's what I'm, yeah, I'm really impressed with that. And I appreciate that because, you know, obviously there it's a wrestling podcast, but I think there's so much more to professional wrestlers than who they are in the ring. Um, And I feel like that's such an interesting conversation. So yeah, I definitely appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, a hundred percent. Like that's like, I, I like to break up that, that standard wrestler wrestling podcast interview format a lot because one, it just gets stagnant, but two, like you said, their pro wrestlers are so much more than just their pro wrestling persona. Yeah. And especially when it comes to queer people, queer people are so much more than just their queerness. Absolutely. So it's about exploring the the whole person and, and mm-hmm. all of the passions and the experiences that come along with that existence. So yes. yeah, of course. Like that I, I'm thankful that that uh you were uh happy to come on the show and and yeah that we were able to do fun. something really interesting yeah <laughs> well let everybody know where they can find you online and uh what you may have coming up here yeah uh you can follow me on twitter at bruja underscore babe uh you can follow me on instagram at the teaches of peaches gorge it's all one word uh, <laughs> <laughs> real, hold on hold on i have to ask you about the instagram name actually now <laughs> there's a there was a song from a, one of the many jackass films and uh, by an artist called Peaches, and there's a line where she says, "The pe- the teaches of peaches like sex on the beaches," and I always really liked that. <laughs> but the te- but just the teaches of peaches was already taken, so I had to add something. To it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so you can find me there. I will never change that name. Um, you can find me on YouTube at Salem Ellison and you can follow my podcast on YouTube. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Follow the podcast because I really love podcasting. No, definitely follow the podcast. Listen. Um, and, uh, I, I, if I may do so, there was one episode in particular that really stood out to me when, when, you know, kind of getting into stuff and, and researching out for the interview was the episode where you, you know, 
I think it's entitled Wrestling is for Everyone, where you really delve into yeah. that that um aspect of your own like view of, of experiences at shows and and that mm. sort of thing and really speaking to the the continued mobilization of queer identities in pro wrestling and greatly greatly appreciate um that perspective that you put out there as well especially with how vulnerable that can be to do so yeah, thank you i appreciate that no, of course of course definitely check that out and all the other episodes out for sure abigail this has been so awesome thank you so much for coming on the show yeah thank you it was a blast i really appreciate it <laughs> My thanks once again to Abigail for taking the time to come on the show and chat about all things pro wrestling, all things YouTube, all things horror, uh, and even chop it up a little bit about Siren Head, honestly. Um, you know, Abigail is someone who has really grown an audience here in Portland and beyond, and I cannot wait to see where her journey takes her going forward. Um, but yeah. Definitely check her out on DOA shows in Portland. Check her out on Pal Pro Wrestling shows in Eugene. Uh, on, of course, the DOA shows are on IWTV as well. So very easy for you to grab there. And, of course, Cascadia again, September 11th, Everett, Washington. You can get your tickets at brainbustertickscom slash Cascadia. Whew. We are nearing the end of that finish line or... Maybe it's just another starting line at some point. I don't know. Either way. Either way. I'm going to stop teasing stuff that I don't fully know where, where it'll go yet. But, yeah. Um, that's going to do it for us this week. I swear I will have more to talk about the goings-on in pro wrestling next week uh, for the intersection. Either way, I don't know. I'm still living off of the, the blissful cloud of the, the wedding. Which, by the way, shout out to... Um, uh, my editor at Outsports, uh, Sid, for the article about the wedding that went up on the site. If you haven't checked it out, um, I'm not going to go check it out. I don't say that because it's about my wedding, but just I it's kind of like a little time capsule for me to go back and look at it and um, and to kind of relive the moment just a few minutes at a time there. Um, that and, of course, the, the live stream video that I have of it that I haven't gone back to watch yet and... Hopefully my relatives did not make too much noise before they got muted by my wonderful friends running the live stream. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, come back next week. We will have another awesome guest. We will figure out, uh, we're going to talk about the Big A Brunch at some point as well in the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that. Um, and yeah, until next time, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands, wear your mask, get vaccinated and boosted if at all possible. That goes for monkeypox as well. And a very happy birthday to the Paris is Bumping Grand Champion, Candy Lee. Bye! Bridge, she made a deal with the demon so her lover commit With the moon inside